Again, Advent, first Sunday of Advent. This will be our theme scripture for the rest of the month. This is Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the set time had fully come, your Bible may say the appropriate time, the fullness of time, the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. The idea that's really grabbed me is this idea of the fullness of time or the appropriate time. It's really the whole concept of time. In general, you may be aware there's two words for time in the New Testament, chronos and kairos. Chronos is calendar time or watch, watch time, and kairos is the right time or the opportune time. And, and you see both of those in the birth narratives of Jesus. You see chronos time and you see kairos time. And we all have to navigate both of those. Whether you're a Christian or not, you navigate in both of those worlds. We live in move and swim in chronos time that's monday and tuesday and wednesday and in january and february and march and 2016 and 2017 that's it's what we it's the medium that we live in but if i were to ask you significant points in your life if you were to look back at the inflection points in your life most likely you would describe those even if you knew the date you would most likely describe those in a kairos type of way things coming together circumstances aligning, things feeling right. We, we, we live in chronos time, but we all have eternity in our hearts, and we're made for eternity. And so there's this, I won't say this tension, but there's definitely these two worlds that we live in. And we've got, again, Christian or not, we, we, we live in those worlds, and we need to know how to navigate those. So over the next four weeks, we'll be bouncing back and forth across those different ideas. This morning, we're going to focus on chronos time. And what does it look like to get a right perspective on that as much as we can? Not super practical, I'll go ahead and tell you. Some big concepts I want to give you today for you to chew on over the course of the next month, the next month or so. Uh, you probably know this, you're probably living this. The American Psychological Association says that 68% of the people in this room will at some point over the next month be fatigued and 61% of us will be stressed. That's what they say. And for the 61% of us who are stressed, the, the, the number one reason, two-thirds of us will say we're stressed because we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. Ironic, Jesus, Prince of Peace. I don't know how many of you would say when you think December, you think, yeah, peaceful. That's a, that's a real peaceful time for me and my family. We're just, we kick back and we relax. It's not how most of us encounter December. For most of us, we, we have, you're already full, and then December just adds to your full. There's extra, you've got to go shopping, and there's parties. It's all good stuff. There's family, there's traveling. It's all good, but it's all on top of an already full plate. And so it just exacerbates what's already going on in our life, this sense of being harried and, and hurried and always feeling like we're behind the eight ball. In the 1950s, there was a couple of cardiologists, and they noticed a lot of the guys that were coming in, primarily men, who were coming in to see them, all were experienced, or they were describing their life in a very similar way. They were saying, I feel like I'm chronically behind. I feel like I'm chronically late. I have this underlying sense of anxiety that I'm not getting enough done. And they coined that description, hurry sickness. That's what they called it. And it's stuck. And over the last 
70 years. People have researched that, and that term has kind of seeped into popular consciousness. Psychology Today describes it this way, and you can see if any of these bullet points fit you. Hurry sickness is... Dun, dun, dun. This is a reveal. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency, a malaise where a person feels chronically short of time and tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered when encountering a delay of any kind. I'm sure that's none of you. You don't wrestle with that at all. And again, because this has been floating around out there for a number of years, it actually has pretty significant physical side effects or physical uh, impacts on us, not to mention spiritual and relational, that there's, some, there's a, a bit of a self-test out there. So I'm going to give you some bullets. Don't raise your hand, but I want you to know any of these apply to you. I move from one checkout line to another because one looks shorter or faster. I count cars. I don't think this one should be up there. I count cars in front of me, and I get in the lane with the least or the lane that's going the fastest. I think that's just smart driving. <laughs> Multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. I accidentally put my clothes on inside out or backwards. Now, I do want, I do want a hand. Anybody do that? <laughs> nice. See, that's good. Jeremy Morris, his first day here, he wore a shirt inside out the whole day. That's how excited he was to be here. <laughs> And we're the kind of people that didn't tell him. <laughs> I sleep in my daytime clothes to save time in the morning. I want a hand on that, too. Are you kidding me? You do it? Like currently? Like last week or when you were 18? Oh, my gosh. The CFO of a company over there, and he sleeps in his clothes. It's good. I typically drive 10 miles or more over the speed limit. I interrupt others and or finish their sentences. This is difficult. Some of you talk really slow. And it's hard not to jump in. I get impatient in meetings when someone goes on a tangent, find it difficult to respect people who are chronically late. I rush to be the first in line even when it doesn't matter. If I have to wait for a few minutes, I get impatient and leave. I rush or hurry my children or spouse like setting up a mock race. Let's say you can do something the fastest. <laughs> I feel depressed if the person in equal distance in line next to me at the grocery store leaves before me. <laughs> All of us can grab onto one or two of those. You can think about how many apply. Many of us, that's life for us. We live in this constant state of being hurried, feeling behind. For some of you, you don't sleep good. Because you're already, th- Sunday night's terrible for you. Because you're thinking about the week and all of the things. And for some of you, Friday night's terrible because you look back at all the things that you didn't get done. Your to-do list gets longer and longer. It never gets shorter. You spend most of your time thinking about all of the things that haven't gotten done, not the things that you did accomplish. That's, for, that's life for many of us. And December just piles on. You say yes to two and you have to say no to three. And you're, you're dying over the three you've had to say no to, and you can't enjoy the two that you've said yes to. Those, that's, that's where many of us live, and I don't think it has to be that way. This is Genesis 1. However you consider or conceive of the days of creation, this is the fourth installment. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So you got that. Let there be lights in the sky to separate day from night 
and let those lights serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light, that's the sun to govern the day, and the lesser light, that's the moon to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. So a couple of things I want you to see from this passage. The first thing I want you to see is that God created time. So this is hard for us to fathom because all we know is time. But there was a time before there was time. There were at least, whatever a day was, there were at least three of them. God created time. 2 Timothy 1.9, Titus 1.2, two places where there were things that were revealed or given or decided before the beginning of time. 2 Timothy 1.9 talks about the grace of Jesus that was made available to us before the beginning of time. And Titus 1.2 talks about the grace of God that uh, was declared before the beginning of time. Time has a beginning and it also has an end. You can read in Revelation. Part of what it means for God to be unchanging means he's outside of time because by definition time marks change. And so for God to be eternal or to be everlasting means he stands outside of time. Time is something that he created. Again, that's we can't get our mind around that. And all I want you to I just want you to know that. Like time is not the boss of you. God is. God created it. It's something that he made, just like he made oak trees and dolphins. He also made time. And so it, there's, it, it doesn't have any mystery beyond that. And it doesn't have to run your life. He does, because he made it. And every, good, every gift that God gives us is good, and we see that here. He said on the fourth day, is good. The sun's good, and the moon's good, and the stars are good, and their functioning is good. So the earth rotating on its axis every 24 hours and giving us 10 or 12 or 13 hours of daylight and the rest in darkness, that, like that's good. And the earth revolving around the sun every 365 days and giving us a winter and a spring and a summer and a fall, that's good. The moon moving through its phases every 28 days for roughly a month, that's good. Working six days and resting one and letting that be a week, that's good. So all of those things are good, and I want you to hear they're good in that they're pleasing, and I also want you to hear they're good in that they're sufficient. He's given us enough. It's a good gift. It's, it's sufficient for us. How many of you don't, just this morning, how many times have you said, I don't have time? There's not enough time. If I had more time. I want to challenge you between November 27th and December 25th. Don't say that. Don't say I don't have time. Say something else. Anything else. Don't say I don't have enough time. Say I'm too busy. Say I didn't get to it. Say I didn't prioritize. Say, say no. But don't say I don't have enough time. This isn't what we mean. But what we're saying when we say we don't have enough time is, God, it's, it's really not good. You said it was good, but it's not good. I need more. I need more of this thing that you gave me. I need you to... I need you to hold the sun for a little bit longer in position. I need more time. I need the earth to revolve, a lo- rotate a little bit slower, revolve a little bit, whatever that is. That's what we're, that's, again, it's not what we mean. It's just a phrase. But it's what we're saying. 
And so I want to get you to think about time differently. And one way to do that is to begin to recognize what you have is sufficient. 24 hours is sufficient. Seven days a week is sufficient. 12 months a year, 365, it's sufficient. All of those things are sufficient. It's good. It's not just pleasing, but enough. And if I can begin and you can begin to approach our days and our weeks and our months and our years saying, the issue is not that there's not enough. There's so, so if I'm squeezed, if I'm harried, if I'm rushed, if I'm anxious, the solution is not to try to stretch more. It's not to say, God, you didn't do a good job when you set this up. You should have given us 30 instead of 24. That's not the answer. So I want to challenge you. Maybe you can wear a rubber band around your wrist. You snap yourself every time you say it. In your house, if you're, you bop each other on the back of the head. If you hear somebody saying, I don't have time. Cut it out of your vocabulary. See if it changes your perspective. I think it will. If you're not allowed to fall back on that as an excuse, and if you're not allowed to use it as a justification, I think it may change the way you approach your days and your weeks and your months. I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about. And again, these are big concepts. You're going to have to chew on them. I can't, this isn't three steps. So some big concepts for you to think about over the course of Advent around this idea of time, assuming that many of you, many of you, maybe most of you and us struggle with this whole idea. We do live with the, this kind of foreboding sense of not getting enough done. We do, a lot of us live with this kind of sense of oh, there's, there's more to do and I'm not going to finish and I didn't mark it off. And I, if I did mark it off, I didn't really do a good job. And I said yes to too many things and all of that that kind of swirls around in our hearts and our minds that can cause us to fall under that umbrella of hurry sickness. A couple of things I want you to think about. These are lenses for me, and they build on one another. There's a lot of overlap, but I do think there's a bit of a progression. First lens is identity. That's maybe to think about time and identity. Those don't necessarily connect for you, but ultimately everything for us comes back to identity because we live out of our hearts. And so who gets to decide who you are? Who or what determines who you are? In the Bible, identity precedes activity, comes first, and identity is rooted in relationship. That's biblical. And so that's ultimate reality. We see that most clearly at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. That's, what he, that's a relational identity statement. Who is that? It's my son. Not this is the Messiah, not this is the Savior, not this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not this is the healer. Not this is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. This is my son. That's a relational statement. Identity is rooted in relationship. Whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything at that point. He hadn't preached a sermon. He hadn't worked a miracle. He hadn't pulled together any followers. He had not done anything. And yet God says, I'm pleased with him. I love him. And I'm happy with him before he does anything. Identity precedes activity. Identity rooted in relationship. That's reality. If you're a Christian, that is your reality. If you're not yet a Christian, I can give you lots of reasons why it's a good idea to say yes. That's one. And maybe that's a big one. Your identity becomes secure. It becomes based on what God says about you and the fact that he's adopted you into his family. And that's unshakable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Heights, depths, angels, demons, none of those things can separate you 
from the love that Jesus has for you. That's a solid place on which to stand. It's actually the only solid ground on which to stand. Your identity becomes secure and set at that point because it's based on what God says and he doesn't change his mind. I'll encourage you with that. So anyway, our society doesn't think that way. We miss this pretty severely. Our identity is really based on our activity in the society that we live. Our activity determines our identity. We are what we do. And our identity is based on our productivity in a lot of ways. If you think of identity as worth, it's based on how much we get done. And we measure ourselves. We look at our GPAs. We look at our stats. We look at our salary. We look at our titles. We look at our track record. Those are the kinds of things that speak to us about who we are. And so how does that have anything to do with time? Well, you can imagine if activity determines your, if productivity determines your identity, and if your activity, what you do, really says a lot about who you are, then every week you're starting from scratch. Or every month when the sales cycle resets, you're starting from scratch. You have to rebuild yourself, remake yourself, prove your worth all the time. And so time is, at that point, it's, it's sands slipping through the hourglass. How do I get after that? How do I make the most? How do I maximize? Because I'm not just doing things. I'm remaking who I am. I'm justifying my existence every Monday. I'm justifying my existence every Thursday. That's a hard way to live. If we want to receive time as a gift, we've got to recognize that we're sons or daughters. I, I, can't, I don't know what age it is. It seems to me as maybe 8, maybe 10 Somewhere in there, there's a shift. I, I have kids, I have a 7-year-old and a 17-year-old, and so I can kind of see the shifts in just in children. And my 7-year-old doesn't know what day it is a lot of the time. And our 17-year-old knows what she's doing for the next year. And it's just the different, some of it's personality, but some of it is life. She has to know what day it is. He doesn't. And there's something about this, and I don't know when it, Changes. It's, it gets earlier and earlier, it seems, that they begin to feel that pressure and have to start hitting the marks. But there's something about receiving time as a gift, childlike. Again, I don't know if it's five or seven or eight or ten where it doesn't matter what day it is. I'm just doing what's in front of me. That's how I can just enjoy what's in front of me today without this sense of feeling like I have to accomplish a lot or get a lot done or justify my existence. I don't, none of those things matter. So there's a, for many of us, that's the first lens you've got to look at. Do you see yourself primarily as a son or a daughter? If you don't, you're never going to be able to enjoy time as a gift. Time is always and only going to be something that you use. It's going to be the means to an end. Getting something done. Justifying your existence. Proving your worth. It's a hard way to live. So we want to begin. Son or daughter, enjoy the gift. But then we do move to stewardship. What do I do? With what I've been given. So we have been given a gift. And we have a father and he wants to know what we're doing with it. And it's not an end of the year review type deal. It's not where you're coming in and you're nervous and he's going, what did you do? It's not that. It's an excited father who's saying, hey, I gave you, what, what did you do with the presents? That's what it is. What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? I'm excited to hear how you use those things. Recognizing, keep in mind, I'm not talking about productivity here. I'm not talking about efficiency. Efficiency is not necessarily a sin, but absolutely is not a kingdom value. 
The metaphors in the Bible are organic and biological. They're not mechanical and technological. Things take time, and there's waste, and God doesn't care. So I, I want you to hear that. Again, efficiency is not necessarily a sin, but it's not a kingdom value. And so when you're thinking about being a steward, recognize that six days for work and one day for rest. If you're thinking about being a steward, recognize God built non-productivity into, into weeks and into years, into seven-year cycles and into 50-year cycles for the nation of Israel. He intentionally built in non-productive time. So when I say steward, don't hear maximize. Not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about honoring. As the, okay, master, you've given me time. What do you want me to do with it? So answer me this. How many hours on average would you say an adult American spends consuming media? How much time do we spend consuming media per day? Give me a guess. Six? How about this? Ten hours and 39 minutes. Unbelievable. I don't know who has a job. Ten hours and 39 minutes. That is not email. That is consuming media. Absolutely through a screen. Ten, it makes you feel a lot better about yourself, doesn't it? Ten hours and 39 minutes. You can go home and tell your parents, hey, I'm doing better than most. Ten hours and 39 minutes. Four and a half hours of that watching TV and movies. Brutal. Easy to pick on screen time. Low-hanging fruit. Bigger issue. What am I doing with the time that I've been given? There's a parable in Luke 19. It's a parable of the minas. Servants are all given the exact same amount. They're all given one mina. And the king wants to know what you did with it. That's really like time. We're all given the same amount, at least on a daily basis. We're all given the same amount. And again, it's not this end-of-the-year performance review. Did you hit the marks? It's a, hey, I gave you this. What did you do? It was a great gift. How did you, what did you decide to do with it? Let's talk about that. It's a stewardship issue for many of us. I'm not talking about time management techniques. I'm talking about, am I investing this gift of 24 hours into things that please my master, the one who's given it to me. Just like there's a stewardship component when it comes to your finances, there's also a stewardship component when it comes to your time. And that does change as the seasons of your life change, absolutely. But if you would say, I'm going days or weeks or months or years, I can't remember the last time I invested myself in something that has eternal significance. We need to look at that. And ask the Lord, what, where, where am I missing it and at that point? This last one's the one that gets me. It's a discipleship issue. Who am I following? Who determines success for me? I don't know anyone who sets out and says, I want to be a failure. I don't know anyone who does that. We all move in the direction of our understanding of success. The issue is that most of us never are explicit in what we're going after. We never explicitly say, this is a win for me. It's unstated. It bounces around in our heart. And we wind up moving in that direction without a real sense of purpose and intentionality of success. And so just very plainly, who gets to decide if you had a good day? Who, who gets to determine that? Who gets to decide if you were productive today? Who gets to decide if you did well this week? Who's making that determination for you? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Who are you following? For me, this is the kind of where the... This is the the tension point for me. I can get the identity deal and I can get the stewardship deal. It can come down to a discipleship thing for me. 
Who gets to decide? Well, who gets to say well done to me? Who gets to say well done to you? Who is determining whether it was a quote good day, week, month, year? I read this book called Essentialism. It's not a Christian book. It's a book about focus by a guy named Greg McCowan, M-C-K-E-O-W-N, if you want to look it up. Pretty good. But in one of, the, one of the things he says initially when he's setting up this whole thesis, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was singular until the 1900s. And then we made it plural. And he was saying, like, that's, that's us. Rather than bend our life to the reality that there can only be one first thing, let's just change the word. That's what we, let's just change the word. You can't. You can't have more than one first thing. There, there can only be one number one. There's, there's no other way of saying that. You can't have multiple priorities. You can't, it's impossible. It's something else then. You can have multiple other things, but they're not priorities. You can only have one first thing. You can have a different first thing on Tuesday than Monday, and you can have a different first thing at 7 a.m. than at noon, but at any given time, there can only be one priority. There can only ever be one first thing at any point in time, or it's not a first thing. If you have three things, then you can have, the, okay, but don't call them priorities. Call them something else. Does that make sense? We lost our, that's where many of us live. That's, that, to me, that's the discipleship issue. Who gets to determine my priority? Who gets to decide, hey, you did the right thing at that point? That blends it, that stewardship idea kind of bleeds in there for me. Who gets to decide what 7 a.m. looks like for me or what 7 p.m. looks like for me? Who am I looking to to say you did well? Not in some kind of slavish way. I don't want you to hear me saying that at all. But in terms of a discipleship, a following, a, you're the Lord, and I'm tracking with you. And I want you to be the you're the one. I'm looking for your approval before I'm looking for anybody else's. I'm looking for yours. I want you to tell me I did well. And sometimes doing well means taking a nap, and I need to hear that. As much as I need to hear sometimes doing well is working a little bit longer. Like what? It's, it's tracking with him. We talk about the difference between being led and being driven, being led by the Spirit versus being driven by anything else. And think about how many of you spend much of your life being your calendar, your responsibilities. It's a very difficult way to live well over time. So I want to close with this. We have 15 minutes. And so we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to be, I, don't want, I want you all to be quiet. Bo's going to come up and play. I don't want you to stand up and I don't want you to sing and I don't want you to come forward. I want you to just stay in your seat. And I want you just chewing relationship, or excuse me, identity lens, stewardship lens, discipleship lens, does any of that resonate with you? When you think about Sunday night, how do you feel going into Monday? What's your mindset? Friday night, how do you feel? Are you just glad it's over? Do you const- or do you look back with regret? How do you feel about those things? When you think about, this is the first day of Advent, as you think about December, how does that make you feel? What do you, are you just hoping to not get invited to parties this year? Are you hoping that somebody says, hey, let's not do gifts this year? Like, what do you, how do you, how are you approaching it? 
Do you wrestle with any of those bullet points up on the screen? Not the silly ones, but like the, do you have a chronic sense of malaise? That's a terrible way to live. Do you constantly feel anxious? Can you sleep? Do you, or do you have to take something? Can you actually sleep? Or is there always something running through in here? That's not how God intended for you to live. I want us to take a month and see if we can figure out what does it look like to enjoy time as a gift as children, recognizing we're sons or daughters, absolutely stewarding our time well before him, and then recognizing ultimately our use of time is a discipleship issue. He's the one that gets to decide if we did well or not, and only him. And if you're pleasing him in that, then you're good. That's where we want to get to. So let's take a minute and pray, and then Bo's going to sing, and then I'll come back up and wrap us up. So you need to be aware. So everything God gives us, it creates limits. We're finite. We've got boundaries. And those limits are meant to give us freedom. It's like a fence. Think about when, if you have little children, how much better it is for them to be able to play in a fenced-in front yard than a yard that's wide open that runs out into the street. You don't have to worry about anybody getting hit by a car if you've got a fence. And they know within that fence there's freedom. So 24 hours, that's a limit. And even beyond that, I want you to think about just daylight. It's interesting that we historically have more time than anyone has ever had in history. Electricity's done that for us. It doesn't matter if the sun goes down. We just flip on a switch. I'm not saying let's go back pre-Thomas Edison. Nobody wants that. But, but even with the expanded hours, we continue to fall farther and farther behind our own expectations. Nothing was open 24-7, even just 25 years ago. Now everything is. I want you to think about the phone in your pocket or in your purse. Does that give you more space or less, if you're honest? Again, we're not, we can't, we're not turning back the clock on any of that. But these things that theoretically were supposed to give us more time, they don't necessarily help. None of you are walking three miles to fetch a pail of water. You're flipping a, you're turning a faucet. It doesn't take you any time. You're not having to build a fire to cook or kill an animal or even harvest a crop. You just go to Kroger, put it in the microwave. You're not washing clothes by hand. We have more, theoretically, we have more disposable time than anyone in history. And yet we continue to feel overwhelmed and overworked. Again, the issue is not that we don't have enough. It's something with our perspective. 24 hours is good and it's sufficient. Six days for work and one for rest is good and sufficient. These limits, though, can. I don't want you to hear this becoming a legalism. I want you to hear this as an invitation to freedom. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak to every son or daughter in this room? Would you show us where we're missing it, where our perspective is, is off, how we're not viewing this good gift of time that you've created and given to us correctly? Is it identity? Is it stewardship? Is it discipleship? Is it something else? Would you come and would you speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name.